Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what will you hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Khan Chow, lead architect for the Data Mesh Initiative at Northern Trust. Let's start with the background first. Northern Trust has been moving forward with Data Mesh for about seven months as part of their high-level digital transformation initiative. On the data side, they had previously focused on data virtualization and data federation, but it was not delivering the results that they had wanted. They were too IT slash technology focused. Instead of centering on getting the data to consumers in a usable, consumable format, it was also not as scalable as they wanted. It was taking two to three months to launch each new data service. They did not have great information on who was consuming the data and, and why. Lineage was also an issue. Northern Trust decided on going down their data mesh path to take a pragmatic approach, such as not pushing all aspects of data ownership fully left. Adavinta took a similar approach, even if the implementation details were very different. Khan and team were focused on finding a happy balance on data product SLAs and quality. Improvement was crucial, but good and done is better than perfect and just a few more weeks slash months. Khan talked about the need for exec buy-in before heading down the data mesh path. They got that exec buy-in by proving that the total cost of ownership, or TCO, of the data was quite high, as the consumers had to do a lot of work to get the data to a usable format. It was not easy to prove, though, as a word of caution. For their proof of concept for data mesh, they set a timeline of three sprints, which was nine total weeks. They needed to prove value by then or data mesh would be a tough sell internally. Khan talked about the need to sell data mesh as a paradigm shift, get people out of technology-focused thinking, which is kind of what led them down that data virtualization and data federation path that wasn't paying off for them. When speaking internally, the business people, you know, really the domains, were very excited to participate if it meant that they could get quality data. Some of the IT slash data engineering folks were harder to convince. It was especially hard to get them to shed layers of not very useful technology. A common pushback was kind of, but my toys. 
Some IT teams were easier to convince as they had felt the impact of a few too many middle-of-the-night data downtime incidents. Other teams hadn't felt that pain, so they were harder to win over. There was also the incentive of additional possibilities. Data Mesh meant that these teams could do things that they couldn't do before. Con talked about the 80-20 rule. You know, I'm seeing this in a lot of places. Make the platform the easy and right path for 80% of the use cases. Don't try to paint too much of the white space. Don't try and paint too much in the corners because you'll be spending all of your time focused on those corner cases instead of improving it for the vast majority of, of users. Focused on making things easy to configure, basically what transformations do you want to do? And then it automatically provisions the pipelines for the teams. Their goal was to make it easy to make good progress quickly. Their time to initial deploy went from two to three months per data service when they were doing the data virtualization and data federation route to two to three weeks to, per data product. And they hope to drive it down even further. So that's about you know, a, a 75% reduction. A big focus and a key driver for Northern Trust has been building muscle and learning evolving along the way. It's important to evolve quickly and not build muscle in the wrong way. When you think about sports and you think about training and things like that, if you do things the wrong way repeatedly, that becomes ingrained. And that's, that's bad because it's hard to kind of get yourself out of that mode. But you also need to make failure okay. You should look to make it easy to fail fast, measure, and adjust. Northern Trust is still in the early days of figuring out interoperability between data products. It's more of an art than a science. You know, Khan believes that bitemporality is more important right now than interoperability. But the Northern Trust team understands that interoperability is important as it allows, one, more easily sharing data from acquired companies, and two, leveraging of data from legacy systems. For Khan, he really emphasized that you have to be passionate about making data better to do a good job implementing data mesh. And it is definitely a journey, so you need patience and vision. Also, each journey is unique. You can't just copy paste from an another organization as much as a lot of us want to do that. So heck yes, say that with me again one more time. Each journey is unique. You can't copy paste from another organization. This is another really good um, interview in our series of user journey stories, and I think you'll really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. All right, very excited for this episode today. I've got uh, Khan Chow here, who is the lead architect for the Data Mesh uh, Initiative at Northern Trust, and um, you know we've been kind of exchanging some some uh, context back and forth previously as well. And I think this is a really good journey to share, especially because we've got 
that, you know, it's, it's a company that's not as, um, seen as, as cutting edge. I think they have really modernized a lot of what they've been doing over the last few years. I think the more that you look at into things under the covers, they have been modernizing a lot, lot more than, than I think people might expect for kind of a, a company in the financial services space that isn't an investment bank. But I think this will help a lot of people as well to navigate some of those challenges with data mesh between um, the legacy aspects of a company that's been doing stuff and been very, very successful over many decades. And so how can we set that up to change and change in such a way that it's not an abrupt change and we're, we're throwing out the baby with the bathwater and that, that we're keeping kind of what's been functioning. So with that, uh, if you don't mind, if you could give uh, a little bit of an intro to yourself and your background, and then we can jump into the questions. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Um, glad to be here. And uh, yeah, finally, we got to talk. Um, lots of uh, uh, things that we have been done in the past year and a half, I'd like to share with, with you and um, the audience. Um, yeah, I'm with Northern Trust as a lead architect for the Data Mesh Initiative um, that we started about seven months ago. Uh, the um, initiative is part of the digital transformation that our executive are, um, you know, building and helping to transform our company into a, a much more data-driven culture. Um, I can talk with you about uh, a little bit of the, the journey um, because uh, part of this is we have done a lot of work in terms of transforming the company uh, from a lot of IT pro project-based kind of projects into a more uh, domain fit-for-purpose kind of data for consumption, for analytics, for reporting, especially with regulatory reporting. Uh, but the analytics space is very, very hot right now as uh, multiple teams are building out uh, various models to help with creating much more innovative products for our variety of clients uh, from institutional to wealth uh, clients. So, so it's an ex exciting space to be able to start working on uh, creating more products, more new ideas that we can help um, you know, help help uh, the clients getting the most for their services. Yeah, and I, I think that's great. I think um, uh, lot, there's lots of different ways that we can jump into that conversation. But I think one good way might be um, maybe if you could share some stuff about how you got started or where, where were some roadblocks that you might have faced early on and, and how you, you got over those and how you might even rethink how you've done them. If there were patterns where you said hey, we, we went down this and it was it wasn't a great path, or what you think could be uh, helpful for others that would be looking to do the same. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good um, a good st starting point. Uh, when I first came to Northern Trust, I'm part of this Rabbit Solution Group. That uh, and the purpose, of course, is to provide values to business, right? So we started out with all these different data platforms starting with the data virtualization, data federation technologies to some kind of leave the data where it is and just try to pull them on demand and provide and ship the data for consumption to use. Um, that data virtualization is pretty interesting. I know you have a, a, 
another podcast with uh, someone to talk about that. And I, I know that might be another topic, but that's how I started out, realizing that a lot of the things we do at the bank has been um, a lot more, you know, microservices, distributed system, more IT focused than than trying to get the data to the consumers. So, so a few years into that, we start realizing that, hey, we're not getting data to the consumer fast enough. Um, so a little bit of fast forward to 2020 is we start realizing that, well, we create a lot of microservices. We're creating a lot of, um, you know, data virtualization products and fit for purpose, but it's not quite as meeting all the needs of the consumers, right? Because the, the, the number of use cases, the number of ways that people want to use the data now just kind of exploded. They want to use the data so many ways. So we quick. Quickly realized that what we have done is not as uh, scalable as we like. Um, and to be able to scale and to create a data-driven culture so that every not every time we build a service, it would take two months or three months to build, uh, to create data that can be uh, understood, right, identifiable, that can be consumed, uh, that can be used for a variety of purposes, to create derivative products that uh, other people might use. Those are the, the journey that we haven't got that far yet. Right? We're still kind of trying to figure out to deliver data to one place, but then we don't really know who's using the data, how much of that being used, and why are they using it, right? And what, whether they still want to use it or not. So those are the questions that we're trying to figure out. And, and some, of the, some of the answer come back was the data quality wasn't good. Yeah, that's that's a very common uh, thing of, uh, okay, you delivered me something, but it wasn't what it wasn't usable, it wasn't trustable. So it, it might be even that that quality was good, but it wasn't actually structured the way they wanted it, or the quality wasn't measured in such a way where they felt they could trust it, right? So yeah. it may be that the quality actually was there, but that you couldn't prove to them that the quality was there and people are used to data quality being bad. <laughs> and so there, there's that scar tissue, even if you are doing it great. So, And, and that's where the lineage is, right? Scott, I mean, you look at yeah. the data, where, where's the provenance part of it? But people don't understand after you have so many IT teams touching the data through so many layers, and you go back and ask them, hey, what, what do you do with this data? It's been there all this time. I'm just maintaining it. Well, that's not a good answer, right? So then you go back upstream to maybe, maybe two or three more layers and then start realizing that the data has been, the rules are being captured at different places, multiple services, multiple messaging system involved, and it's difficult to do it. So what we're trying to do say now is, hey, if you are the data owner and the custodian of that data, right? Why don't you just publish it? And and if you have any, you can stand behind it. You can be accountable. And if people have questions, you are the one that can answer because nobody else can, right? Yeah. So that's what that's what the spirit of data mesh is about. At least one part of it is that what we're trying to implement. Yeah. And have that communication about who is using what data and why, right? And so that, that person publishing it, you're yeah. not just saying yeah. you're publishing into a void, that you create yeah. that that conversation where you're like, here's why you're publishing it. Here's who's using it. Here's how they're using it. Like, we're going to get you in a room and we're, we're not going to do IT or data engineering or what, whatever org you've got being the, the communication channel. Because then you're playing, you know, telephone, you're, you're and the message gets garbled between 
what the consumers want and what the producers have and what they can produce and 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 give over and it just it, it becomes a real challenge. I, I really liked what you said of you had a lot of IT focused uh, projects on getting the data to the consumers, but not actually what they wanted. Right? I think I think that's a a key understanding of of data mesh. It's that hey, we're shipping you the data. It's like, but it's not what we want. It's not what we can use. It's not how we can understand it. We can't trust it. We can't. Like, so exactly what you're talking about of, of creating this, like a product and a service and that type of thing. It's not just that you're serving out data. It's that you're serving out the quality and the repeatability that somebody can come back and say, I am going to be able to, to run this query again. And that I don't have to just, you know, trust this as a one, one off dump of data. So I, I really like that. Um, where would you say and Scott, just real quick because you, you you have another episode and I really enjoy it is IT people loves to refactor, love to hydrate all this <laughs> stuff into something that, hey, I know that's what you want, but I'm gonna refactor and create a generic, right? So now you have all these generic things that are not exactly what people want. Because a lot of these these business they want data shaped the way it is so that's convenient and useful for them. Right. And, and that is the hard part is why IT loves to do refactoring because we are in a business of making, create efficiency. But, but that's another topic by itself. Just, it, it's not exactly what they want, but, but they under, yeah, the, the requirement was there, but the delivery is a lot more IT centric thinking than business thinking, right? Giving them what they want versus what we want. Yeah, how how much abstraction is is good because it does create that efficiency, and how much is is over normalizing versus not? And I think it's a sliding scale every single time. Yeah, <laughs> like there is. isn't an answer. It so is. That's a very good point. Um, so if somebody were kind of in the position that you were, of you know where you you were focused on on sharing this information, but it just wasn't having the same impact that the consumers wanted. Like, where do you think is a good place to start? Where is that with, you know, uh, Angelo Martelli from van der Lande had talked about, he wanted to prove there was a problem. So he went out there and he proved there was a problem. Um, Max Schultz had talked about, well, we just wanted to, to kind of get ourselves out of the way. And, you know, we had, one-on-one conversations. And so, you know, but that's not scalable. So then we created ways to, to kind of scale those, but like everybody's is, is a little bit different. What, what did you think was the the thing that really got you moving? Cause there, there are so many potential roadblocks. There's so yeah. many ways you can get in your own way with data mesh. So what, what was the thing that really got it all moving? Was it the exact buy-in? Was it the, you know, creating a framework for uh, collaboration instead of your, you know, kind of pub sub of you just consume what I, I publish and that's the way it is? Or like, how did you do that? Yeah, yeah uh, definitely executive buy-in is one very good uh, reason, but this it, is a, a prerequisite, right? What got us going was that it wasn't scalable, uh, what we're doing, because I think a lot of challenges is even though we may deliver something that the consumer wants is not exactly so there's still a lot of work downstream for them to massage the data, right? 
Uh, it could go into a spreadsheet. It could go into some other tool. And business have to do some more work to really make the data usable. So now you start having a long latency, right, of getting data to the hands of consumers, and they still have to do some more work to get there. So the total cost of ownership is kind of kind of not quite represented. But by the time people realize that the total cost of ownership includes downstream work, then they start realizing that, hey, we need a better way to do this. Um, so yeah, so I, I think those are the things that really drive every initiative in any company, right? Is the, what, what is the actual total cost of ownership on something like this? When we build something that, that requires a lot more high touches at the right side of it, did you have any any way of, of measuring that 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 you know uh, to me that's that can be such a nebulous concept because I, I totally get exactly what you're saying but if somebody's not if somebody's bought in then they would say yes yes I get it but if somebody's not bought in is there a way to kind of show them that hey is, is it to talk to the different consumers and say hey explain to me what you do after you you access the data you know, and that we can prove it's not scalable and repeatable and trustable and all that. Yeah, I think I think in some some cases it's easier than the other when there's more transparency. Uh, in some cases, it's not as as easy. Um, but I, I guess you know, um, <clears throat> if you go into a budget meeting and you suddenly realize that your software doesn't get past 1.0, you kind of know that uh, the business is not happy, and that's where. Um, you have to start thinking about how to to service them better. Uh, yeah, I don't have a good answer there, Scott. Part of it is um, there's multiple you know people involved to get all the figures together is a little bit challenging. I, I guess in any large organization. Yeah, it's it's trying to figure out what what challenge are we actually trying trying to solve. Um, it's it's difficult because it's like oh well we want to deploy a data mesh. Well, why? And it's like that scalability and agility you mentioned, right? Like that's, I think that's really crucial. Um, so uh, you were talking about that it was taking you two to three months to create a, a service. Um, obviously, you know, kind of re-architecting the way that you do is, is going to kind of delay things at the general level for a bit. But like, how did you start to go about your POC? Like, what did you, how did you choose where you wanted to kind of start with this and, and what was your scope there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we started out, it, we're talking about data mesh POC, right? Yes, the pilot. yes. Okay, yeah. You know, the, the thing we want to do is find out if it's a better way of doing things than what we had mm -hmm. before. So it has to be fell fast, right? Um, when we started out, we said, we're gonna do this in you know, three sprints, right? And we got to know right away by the end of the third sprint that this is working or not. Um, and then we set a number of principles, right? What are the principles that we are really after? Can we create, we're not trying to buoy the ocean, of course, right? But we have to figure out how we can get value out of something like this. Can we weave one thread through this whole new data mesh construct uh, to do it? And what we found out pretty quickly is the data mesh is not a technology. And this is about, you know, a year ago, right? We just say it's not a technology thing. It's, it's both a, a small part of it is technology. The larger part of it is the 
paradigm shift in thinking, right? Embracing the data, embracing the products, and and treat data product as our first class corporate asset that we are responsible for describing it and making it, you know, uh, usable and consumable by consumer. That means if we're going to put something out there, we're going to stand behind it. If we're going to put something out there, it's going to have quality that people know how to use it. So so our, our POC described that, right? If we're going to do this in three weeks, we're going to make it usable by an actual use case of something that we want to do. And that's what we did. I'm sorry, not three weeks, three sprints, which is every sprint about three weeks. So that's about nine, nine weeks or so that we know exactly how it's going to pan out. So starting out with something like that, understand the challenges that we're facing because it's not all about technology. It's about changing the mindset uh, and really get people identified the owners, the custodians, the stewards of the data so that they can put their names to the Josies, right? If there's a, there's a challenge, you got to know who to go and talk to. Those are the things that we have to do early and upfront. And, and that's the only way that, uh, would be successful. And, and that's exactly what we did was to do all of that initial legwork to set the principles, to set the, the goals of the POC. And, and I think um, one thing that you said in there, it can be um, misinterpreted, which is that data products are assets. I fully agree with you. It's that what Jamak has said is stop trying to manage data as an asset because then you're just trying to collect data and you're just trying to amass as much data as you are instead of a product is, <laughs> does it delight the consumer, right? Like that's that's what you're trying to drive towards is that people are using this and that they find it useful and that, but that if you are creating good data products, they are an asset, they are of significant value to the company. So it's not that the data itself is the asset. It's that mm-hmm. the data products become the asset. So I, I think that's yeah, that's a, a very crucial point that you made. Yeah. It's a high value asset, right? What is a yes. high value asset, right? Not just some ingredients uh, or events or things. Events are good too, right? It can be a product if you view it and use it properly. But yeah, it's high value products that people want to, to use. That's the key thing. Yeah, well, you've got you've got to have that return on investment, right? Data mesh is an investment. Absolutely. It's an investment in somewhat in the technology and, and things, but it's a big investment in the people and the process side of kind of shifting this and, and whether you're hiring new people or you're retraining them or you're, you're refocusing them, it's it's an investment. So so I, I agree very much with that. Um, you were talking about this. This is a big paradigm shift, right? Like this is not the way companies have thought about delivering data. So on which side do you think was the more difficult shift? Was it on the consumer side or I presume that the producer side to get them kind of bought in on this? And and, and how did how did you work with them? Uh, okay. Well I can answer the first question pretty quickly. The second one is a little bit more involved. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the first question is okay, which side is 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 easier? Definitely business, right? Uh, we have this whole business-driven IT-enabled idea of the when we start out with a mesh is it has to be business-driven and business just sign up, man. They just sign up. They just say, "Yep, I'm on this because I want good data. I want to. Un- I want data that I could use for analytics. I-, I want data that I can create more uses out of it." So yeah, 
that's the first thing they do. You go to business and they all sign up. The IT side, you know, uh, is more challenging uh, because, uh, you know, we we have so many technologies and it's not just our company, but I think a lot of companies we have, when you talk about full tech stack, right, kind of work that we used to do, every project, every team we go to, they have a different stack, right? Over 20 years now, there used to be .NET back then and then Java architecture and going to SOA and then, you know, ESP and then you go to microservices and then all the vendor tools, everything is so different. So getting IT teams to start thinking about how do we shed some of these layers, right? And move to the left as much as possible. Uh, it become a very difficult exercise because there's so much rules. There's so many things been built. There's so much technical debt that we have done over the years that taking the effort to do it would be challenging. So the approach we took, and I know Scott and everybody, you know, listening, you know that this is a journey and you know that the messaging over time we start changing a little bit, making it more meaningful within your company, right? Not every company has the same message when it comes to this. Our company has done the messaging and refined it over the, the, the months and weeks that, hey, you know, we've got to take a pragmatic approach to a lot of this. If we could not go all the way to the left, we can't find somewhere, right, that somewhere to the left that would be uh, more manageable, something that we can bite into it and then start a process there. And knowing in a year or two down the road, we're going to try to create more base products out of that. So we start having something that, that, hey, this is a good enough product with enough ownership and custodian that we have um, some guarantee of data quality and service level agreements that we can start with that. So that is how we start. And to find that happy point is very challenging. Um, with with you know with a diverse set of technologists and management teams that we have. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I fully agree. I, I wish there were a framework where you could just go and and here is how you find that happy point. But it's, I know it's it's different in every single case and and things like that. But um, how did you work with like was there was there a key message that you took outside of like just kind of was it just be pragmatic. We're, we're not going to boil the ocean. We're not going to change everything on you, uh, you know, just willy-nilly, just kind of uh, tomorrow we're, we're doing this new approach, you know, that doesn't ever work. Um, or h- how did you get the IT teams to start to feel comfortable that this was a good approach um, when it, it is so different from the way a lot of people have done stuff historically? Yeah, yeah. Um... Some IT teams, they recognize the issue right away because they live that every day. So they they help us um, basically say, hey, can we do it this way? So the message has been, how can you make my life easier so I don't have to get up at midnight and join the SWAT car right, and figure out what's wrong with the data. So they love that, uh, the IT, those IT teams that have lived through the challenges of data quality and data, uh, the operation size of the data, they're, they're very quick to jump on. Um, so our messaging for those groups is, hey, this is going to make your life easier, right? And you're going to be able to do things that you haven't been able to do before um, because there's much more 
uh, data products that you can build and make, you know, creating a more value added um, to your organization. And those are the groups that see it right away. Um, there are certain groups that are a little bit harder to get that message through, partly because um, it's working, right? If it works, um, don't why would I want to break this window and rebuild it kind of thing? So it's the messaging has been a little bit harder uh, to, to craft. Um, I tell you, I, I'm not in that space because I'm more on the build side of the data mesh architecture, the technical architecture. But we have teams that work on data strategy, data product and enablement team. And by the way, you know, this, this shouldn't be just a single team, right? This should be a collaborative effort of strategy team uh, of the support and operation teams and then data engineering teams and data science and the business. There should be four or five teams uh, that help with the governance and that help with the messaging part of it. So so I, I usually um, work with all those teams and help deliver the message. Um, the key thing is to be consistent uh, of the messaging. And I, I think that has been um, not always the case as we've gone through this journey, but it's getting a lot clearer. Uh, now that we are um, seven, eight months into it, in, ter- uh, in terms of implementation and rolling it out, we're seven or eight months into it. So the messaging has been a lot better. But it's all about what is the value, right? How it's going to make you feel better and, and look better and how does it make your business, you know, be able to do things. And, of course, with that, then more funding to do all the stuff that you haven't been able to get to. And, and when you're talking about IT, um, some people in the, if they've moved, especially to microservices, they don't consider the application developers to be IT. Is, are you, are you including the application developers in that IT group or are they part of the business? Just because, you know, a lot of people are finding it's difficult to get the application developers interested in doing this. But um, I just I just want to make sure that we're we're because every company calls different yeah. people in different groups and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I tend to identify the data engineering team is the IT side, right? Because I'm in okay. the in the in the data space, so I I know there are different levels of different application and portal and mobile and all that stuff, which is a little bit outside of my purview at the moment. Um, my job is to get. Um, source data, right, uh, useful data to get on the mesh. So usually I look at data engineering and the operation side of it. So the data engineering, the guys that, that know, really know software engineering, really, really know distributed computing, really know how to take the technologies and help flow the data through these pipelines, right? And the yeah. operations guys, the guys that can really support it, right, and make harden it and enable them to, um, keep this thing up and running, right? The, the five nines or the things that we do, Northern Trust is very, uh, has a very reliable, um, capability when it comes to going to production. I mean, you, if you're not in the, in the nines, um, we're not going to do it. <laughs> so it's, it's imperative that we have, um, we help the operation team get, stay at that level. And that's where most of my work has been with those two groups on the left side. Yeah, that's that's interesting because when you said that the the business people were really excited, sometimes the that can mean that the business people only want to are excited because they're consuming versus mm. <laughs> they're also producing. But then we're seeing yeah. a lot of um, business folks are you know domains and things are saying, oh well, 
we hadn't really looked at our data in the same way. And so, you know, somebody else telling us that this is how they want to consume our data made us rethink the way we were looking at our data. And so it helped us as well from that standpoint. But, you know, some business sides are just like, I want to consume all the other businesses data and I don't want to produce it myself. So <laughs> that can be a little bit of a frustrating conversation. But, um, so, uh, you know, you, you talked about these different teams collaborating as well to, to drive buy-in. But you, you talked previously about that you're kind of helping the teams to get the, the data and, and source that data, as well as kind of helping to build the actual platform side of it. Like, how do we actually build this to be a scalable thing so we're not building custom one-off thing? You know, you talked about that two to three months for each data service, and that's a custom one-off versus repeatability. So lots of different pathways we could go down there, but is there one that, that you find that you think would be interesting to kind of dig further into? Yeah, yeah, it is because, as you know, um, there's so many ways to tackle this data mesh idea. Right? <laughs> um, the um, What kind of technologies, what kind of capabilities you, you want to do? Uh, we took an approach that we want to create pipelines that anyone can do it. That means we want a lean coding approach, low coding. We want uh, a lot of automation and we want to address the kind of 80% of the use cases out there uh, of sourcing all the mission critical data by just configuring, right? Just you create a manifest and configure where's your data, right? What kind of ways to get the data? How frequently you want to get the data? What does the shape look like? And then you describe and you ask them, where do you want to have this data in, right? What is the target? Um, what kind of transformation that you want to do with this? And that is a configuration idea of just, hey, if you put all this stuff into some kind of run control, you know, process, then we can provision a pipeline automatically, right? We can start connecting the, the sources and pull the data through help with the metadata identif uh, identification, send the metadata to say some catalog uh, for business use, right? Business loves to use catalog to look at data. So we want to get that automation to them. Uh, we want to create a pipeline that can scale. So that depend on your data set. Uh, is that, you know, a hundred thousand rows a day or is that a million rows? So is that a terabyte of data that had to flow through this pipeline. So how do we scale those things for different uh, pipelines in terms of um, workload isolation? How do we do that well? So those are the things that we're trying to make it easy by abstracting away all of the usual data engineering uh, technology integration work into our data as a service infrastructure, right? And to provide that kind of self-service. Uh, the teams can actually get on and do some of this basic work very quickly, right? And get the data through. So now, uh, if you're talking about used to be six months of building some platform and services to get the first service out, we'll be talking just a few weeks, right? Of provisioning and creating pipeline to get the data to flow through, right? And that's what we're talking about now is at least the initial version we have is, is about two to three weeks. But um, over time, we hope to make it even, you know, make it even faster by 
uh, we are uh, creating additional features and uh, automation so that teams can go in and do uh, all this work without a lot of coding. Yeah, I think a couple of things that you said in there as well that I'm hearing this of people who are being successful is that they're not trying to build their platform to cover absolutely every use case. There will be one-offs if there's something that's of value and it's of uh, a, an insane scale and that you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be, if people are doing serverless, that you're not doing something where you're doing, you know, a trillion transactions in a, in a day. And so the cost is, is you know, $50,000 a day or something, unless the, the money really makes sense, that ROI. But um, that 80% and those kind of sensible defaults and that like lowest friction to get something out of value. And that as something, as, as the domains learn more about what data to share and how to share it, that they can get to, um, they can add incremental value as well as the platform can evolve and start to cover more of those use cases and, and make it easier for them to add more value. But I, I think that's really important. I think the, the ones is. that I'm hearing are successful are the ones who who kind of don't try to paint every corner, that they try to make it so this, and that you don't try and tackle, we're going to make it so that you can share this insanely complicated thing right up front. We're not going to try and tackle the hardest challenge at first, we're, we're building this muscle as we're adding value. You have to add value with everything you're doing, but it's also building that muscle and that learning. Yeah, yeah, that's what we talk about too, right? Those 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 words are building this muscle that we don't have, right? It's like, you, you know, you would think golf is a pretty easy sport, right? But you don't have that muscle to play golf, you're not going to last 18 holes. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're like a you know, tennis player, you have different muscle for tennis or football or soccer, right? But golf is to require different kind of muscle. So to build that kind of muscle um, is important. And to develop it the right way is also important, right? Um, this is, uh, is something that we, over time, learn how to help teams build up muscle and create this connective tissue. I know, I know these are kind of uh, things that seem to resonate with uh, our, our upper management, but those connective tissues are so important. We cannot just have muscle out there that doesn't connect. It doesn't work, you know? And it's how do they function in a way that is productive, right? That has the list, exert the least amount of energy. So that is where a lot of lean coding thinking that we want to have automation is the type of muscle we want to use. We, we go into data ops and ML ops, right? Um, right away too, because we just think that a uh, DevOps has been fantastic. We learn a lot from it, but really in this space, we really think about data ops and ML ops. So that's just our journey right now. Yeah. Th there's that, um, you know, people say practice makes perfect and that's, that's incorrect because practice just, hardens the muscle in the way that you're doing it. So if you're doing your practice wrong, then you're, you're building the muscle in such a way and trying to unlearn that. I, yeah. I've had this with foreign language. My pronunciation was terrible. And so um, like trying to unlearn that, I just went, ah, I, I can never be good at this language because <laughs> I learned how to read it and I learned how to say it in English phonetically, but not <laughs> in the actual language. So it, it, it really didn't work. 
Exactly. And sometimes it works to your advantage if you can figure out how to make it work. But at, a, at the same time, um, it, it's become a little bit of a, a hack right? to make to make that muscle that, that doesn't work too well and add some more stuff around it to make it work is challenging. Yeah, the same thing with everything else. Right? We, we love to we, we'll find ways for everything. Right? We're a very creative um, animal. Right? We can make everything work. The question is, does it work when you can when you want to scale right when you want to go much higher and doing more yeah it's more challenging but those are good points <laughs> so um you you talked about um the catalog and that the businesses just want to go to a catalog yeah. and and, yeah. and um had an, an episode that came out that was talking about kind of brought up the, the concept of data discovery not being only tooling based i think in yeah. data mesh, there's still um, a tendency for people to try to solve every problem with a tool if they think the tool can can solve it. How do you think about that? I mean, is it the 80-20 rule of, hey, we're going to solve 80% of the problem with the tooling because that's going to cost us 20% of the effort, and then we're going to solve the remaining 20% or as much as we can with people in process? Or how, how do you think about that, especially when it comes to maybe data discovery being an, an example of that, because I know that's that's the challenge that I think everybody has in their top three is that data discovery is really hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know the uh, traditional data catalog is something that business love to use. Um, and I think we're not going to change that pretty quickly, at least in the short term. But I really think what we want to do is add something like a marketplace, a data marketplace, uh, on top of these um, data pipelines and catalog and bring them together in a much more cohesive way, right? Something that are more um, friendly to business. And it could mean that we uh, start looking at these as actually data products than just, like you say earlier, corporate asset. You just want to classify and doing things with it. You actually treat them as data products. Um, I don't know if it's a, a good semaphore, but, you know, you think of the Apple App Store, anything like that, right? There's certain, they, they revamped that over time, but definitely you want to have something that is more resonating with business users, um, including, hey, you know, can I get a quick sample of the data? Does it, what does it look like? Do I know um, all the people who use this data that I can talk to, right? Because sometimes I talk to IT that might give me something that's so technical and so persuasive that I use it, but it's not really what I want. So do I have a kind of a red roots kind of reviews or something like that that people can describe to me what they really found out and learned about the journey with this data uh, as a product, right? What do you do in real life when you go buy something like a car or right? you go and find somebody who can tell you about that car that you want to buy and explains it? Um, so those are the things that we think business going to want to get to the, at some point. Um, we may not have the technology to do that at the moment, but at least our thinking uh, in at Northern Trust is we're going to go to the data marketplace, right? We're going to use technologies to help them find data that they want to use and connect them with a community of people that use the data um, and provide feedback, right? Data products producer need feedback on data. Um, so those are the things that we think that can make a, uh, 
very strong case for creating this kind of ecosystem for you know managing um, a very healthy and vi uh, vibrant um, marketplace for consumers and producers to come together. So, so consumer can be business, can be IT, can be data scientists, producer can be any one of them too, right? If you really look at it that way at some point. Uh, at some point, anybody has anything good that would be useful, that would create, um, uh, you know, uh, experience that people want to uh, use and then help them with their whatever that they are looking to do with that data. Um, that is the marketplace that we are really after. And, and that marketplace is a lot more than just a data catalog. It has to be. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think what you talked about of the word catalog is kind of what you said of just classifying. And so we need to move beyond that, that just a catalog versus, you know, um, you might also like, right, that you even have a recommendation engine within the data discovery of, hey, you're looking at this other people looked at this and that you have that that feedback and that you have um, a data product producer being able to go out and say, hey, we're looking at adding this to our data set, right? Like, I don't know if, you're, if your initial um, data products are tables or, or views or actual like data sets of multiple tables and things like that. But that if you think about, well, we're thinking about adding additionally to this data product, would anybody want this? Or here's what we're trying to get to. Is this going to be useful so that we don't spend the effort, we don't spend the, the actual compute money and the time and effort to make sure that we can hit this quality level or talking to people about what SLA do you need, right? Like, yeah. oh, you need this every day? We were going to put yeah. this with an SLA of five minutes and that yeah. freshness SLA doesn't need to be there okay, then, then it's not nearly as compute intensive and it's not as difficult to, to manage that quality level for, you know, if, especially if it's a large data set and things like that. So I think it's, it's a lot of what you're talking about is something that keeps being a through line of just like enabling these conversations to take place and that getting the data engineering team or whoever else, getting the, those people that have traditionally been the, the pass-throughs for these conversations out of the way so that the actual direct producer and consumer can can um, have the conversation. I mean, if you talk to product managers, I think the ones who are the best product managers are the ones who actually go and have lots of one-on-one -on -one conversations with consumers, right? So we need to do that as well with the data internally. Um, so what, one thing you mentioned uh, very early on was about um, having multiple customers. And that sounded like you were talking about internal customers, but are you also looking at this to back like applications for external customers or are you um, doing that with partners or, or things like that? Uh, I'd love to, to jump into that. And then the other question I have is around managing interoperability. So whichever one sounds more interesting to jump into you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the first one is easier. <laughs> I, that first. I like easy questions. Yeah, we, we have internal uh, customers. External customer needs a little bit more. Um, I guess part of it is pre presenting the data in ways that uh, a lot more bespoke, a lot more customization. And all of our data eventually go to external customers, right? They have, uh, that's the way 
all the services servicing business uh, have. So there's usually another team at the edge um, that they do manage, managing a lot of that client delivery kind of teams that use this kind of data from the mesh and they create uh, capabilities and make it fit for purpose, fit for use, fit for client needs, a very high touch kind of business. Um, so, so we don't, at least my mandate right now is not to have data to go out of those, but there are teams that are doing that uh, outside of this. And part of that's part of the current organization structure. So it fits perfectly, right? We don't have to do all those things. So it's nice that we don't have to deal with a lot of that at the edge right now. Um, but to get the right data to them is critical, right? Because those guys have the same challenges of data wrangling, data massaging. They actually have their own data engineering at that end to do the work. So now if they don't have that, uh, that even reduce, um, enable them to get things out faster to the clients. Um, a, a smaller, um, more agile team to, to work with data. And, and, and you brought up a point about real time, right? A lot of people talk real time, but it's not that real time because there's so many teams had to touch on the data uh, and approve it before it get to anywhere. So it's not really that real time if, if you're talking about client deliveries. Um, so so with that, I, I'm going to just leave it that way, right? That, yeah, we, we have the data products can be used by multiple teams. And a lot of that has to do with meeting client needs or external clients needs. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think that being able to make it so that those teams can more easily do that customization, but that that customization also is kind of a persistent customization where it's not that, oh, I did my 10 transforms in the Excel spreadsheet. And then now right. I don't know how to, to repeat that. Exactly. I've got that repeatability of being able to go, okay, here's what we did. And then I can push that uh, back up to the producer and either, you know, I have a query that I run or that producer then goes, okay, we're going to also create this transformation in a data product so that you don't have to do these transformations yourself. Like, I think those those are really helpful. So if, if you do need super bespoke for each customer, you probably don't want to have that as all part of one data product because it becomes yeah. bloat, but that, that you've got that capability. Yeah. And I know this is a little bit of an endorsement of uh, Snowflake here, but I think Snowflake is very good with data sharing, right? To get that to the edge and enable customer to sign up an account and be able to get data that we share. Uh, so that is a very uh, good use of getting to, uh, you know, data to the clients, right? Usually we do FTP or SFTP <laughs> and dealing with that stuff and say, wow, you know, um, but with Snowflake is really uh, do away with some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That that managing permissions is not, is not fun. Um, so one question that keeps coming up in, in a lot of these conversations is around interoperability. If, if you want to yeah. pass on, on trying to do the interoperability question, but like, how do you think about the measuring the value of a data product in and of itself versus how much value it provides as kind of part of that greater marketplace concept? Are you starting with just, hey, we're trying to make this valuable in and of itself and we'll, we'll evolve towards that, that marketplace concept? Or, or are you trying to make things very interoperable? And, and how how are you approaching interoperability? Is it universal ID or is it like... 
how do you think about it? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, has been always challenging because sometimes we get data from, you know, something, someone that we acquire, right? another company. Yeah. Or we get data from legacy, multiple legacy system that don't have the same data structure. Um, even though it's the same key, but one system might have padded blanks, right? The other one is just like uh, a different data type. So, so how do we deal with some of these things? Um, you know, when it comes to that, you know, we, we try to stay a little bit truer to this whole bounded context thinking, right? And let the domain team um, define the data products that easier for them to manage. And yet, how do we describe this data so that if you want to join with someone else, um, there's, an, there's a better way to do it? Um, it's a little bit of an arts than a science, really, I think. I think, yeah, because it downs to uh, teams talking to each other, right? Consumers and products. Uh, what is it that a producer should be building something that is compatible, uh, that can interoperate with another data products in the marketplace? Um, I don't know if we're at that point yet. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a journey, but it's only kind of uh, learning along the line. Um, and I think I think this is the part that at some point uh, the easy ones that we can do uh, will be pretty quick to get done, but the harder one, especially when it comes to legal entities, right parties, when you get to MDM. Um, Stuff like that, uh, that is where a lot of those things kind of start um, coming out, I think. I think that's where uh, it, it, a lot of the work has to be done there to really help with the interoperability aspect of it. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, if I'm summing you up, that, that it's you've been focusing more on creating high-quality data products in and of themselves versus... Yeah. Uh, the greater mesh concept, but that you're you're kind of talking with people about, hey, we have to evolve this as we as we mm-hmm. get towards. We need to have that interoperability. We need to have that that ability to combine the data. That um, if we don't have that in the long run, that hurts us. But in the short run, it's better to <laughs> have uh, quality data products that are out there rather than not. That's about right. Right, and yeah. that we're not we're not letting that interoperability be a gating factor to us. Yeah, because it's a difficult problem to solve right yeah. away. <laughs> and we know that is a something needed, but we, you know, one thing that we adamant about, Scott, is um, all the data goes into our data mesh has to have this temporality in it, right? It's bitemporal, right? The the, 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 the two set of timestamp, what is the effective from and to, and what is the transaction or system timestamp when it's recorded from and to. Those are the things that enable us to look back at the data or look in the present and understand how we can treat this data. I think that's the heart of, that is something that is more important than the interrupt interoperability. Um, right now, because a lot of the data joining uh, we can massage the key when we join for sure, right? It may not be efficient, but joining with the right data with the temporal aspect of it is a lot harder, right? And you don't have that. You don't have that by temporal in place. You're not going to be able to do it at all. So we, we kind of pick the, the one that we think that this is going to be more value added as part of our governance. So this is getting into governance here, right? Interop- interoperability, um, security, ability to 
um, manage our data sets, versioning, and all of those things is, is part of the governance thing that we kind of lay out, right? This is an MVP 1.0. We have to have these three out of the seven things we want to do, and we implement those three things. Right. And then hopefully next year or this year, actually, we'll get to the other two that are important for data security, for fine-grained security at column and row to enable us to figure out who uses the data, what is the uh, user behavior analytics to know that, hey, Scott went to, you know, say another country in uh, Canada right? from that IP address from that region he's tried to pull this much data out why is that do we have ability to track those things so those are the things that is more important to us that now we have data we want to know who uses it where and when and how do we block some of these things right? because in a bank we are very concerned about data security so those are the things that we implement first as part of the governance yeah, and, and I think that's something that um, I've been talking about as well with pilots of like people let governance uh, really be a big blocker for them. And I think what you want to do with your pilot is to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a bad spot and that mm-hmm. you're not trying to solve all of governance. So you might have tighter security controls than you want, but that you go, okay, like we're going to make this so that the, the domain can can say this is PII and basically no one gets access to that at all by default and that they have to go and there is there is a formal you know process for them to get access to that and that we're not saying we're going to grant it to this role but not this role and this you just start with hey we're going to say is this widely accessible or is this not and if it's not then you have that that manual process and that's fine to have as you move towards scalability Right. It's that that you don't have to figure everything out ahead of time. You have to set yourself up not to not to get in trouble. But that outside of that, your governance needs to be an enabling factor instead of yeah. a, a blocking factor. And, and that that's far that's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Picking the right governance, like you say, is important. Right. If you take all seven of them, you pick the, the three that are not the good ones, you end up you know, not getting what you want. So yeah, governance needed, but we don't have to tackle all of them at once. Yeah. And that's that's a key thing that you just say there, and we we try to do that. So um, we're uh, this has been great, but we're we're kind of coming up on yeah. on an hour here. We're we're, we're fast approaching that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, really does. Um, so if is there anything that we didn't cover today that you think would be really interesting for folks or really usable for, for mm. folks useful that they, um, as people are going along their own journey, like some, mm. you know, I'm asking you for the, the silver bullet learning, which there is no silver bullet to data mesh, but um, is there something that you think was really interesting or useful um, or, or even just kind of funny <laughs> that might be a good, a good yeah. uh, thing to wrap up on? Yeah. 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 I think, I think, um, you know, one of the things that you, you do this, if you do this, you have to be passionate about it, right? You're not doing it because it's like the, the, the newest thing out there. You have to be passionate about data um, and and also uh, be lighthearted too. You know, um, the journey is, the stories is still being written, right? Uh, it's a long journey. I try to find, um, you know, definitely 
it can be very confusing. You go into different, you know, groups, um, especially uh, I, I, I use a lot of vendors and talk to a lot of them, but you have to distill the information and disseminate them so that you, you can get something useful out of it. Uh, and then figure out how it's going to work for your organization, right? Not just because something works somewhere else. You cannot just bring into your organization it's going to work. That's number one. Um, number two is I think that you have to find something that um, resonates with a lot of people. Uh, one thing that, that Laura and I did that are very early on when we did this last year is think of it as building a commercial kitchen right, with multiple stations. Uh, and you want these people to be able to go in and bring your the ingre- uh, help them bring the ingredients right uh, in right whether spices or chicken or lobster you have to make sure you put you have refrigerator to put all those things in right? <laughs> catalog them all give them the station if they want to cook this um, if you cook in Chinese style you need a wok if you want to make a pizza you need a pizza oven. So those are the things that you want to create a kind of a master chef kitchen with all these things. And this guy just come in and just cook and help create these creations. And if the creation doesn't, uh, the, the judge or someone doesn't like it, they can create again. You have to give them that environment, kind of an incubator environment to try things out. Otherwise, that would be very difficult for them to go in and do things um, with you. right? So you really have to give them that capability to do it. Uh, I really think that is one thing that we don't want to lose sight is at the end of the day with a data mesh concept, the construct is to get the data custodian, right? The people that has to work with the data, the data engineering to make it easier for them to do things, right? And and create products that if they fail, they fail fast and they create another one and match them up with the consumer or a consumer can find them and use their products. And I think that kind of, create that whole, you know, stickiness, right? I guess I get this whole ecosystem flowing that now I have products that people want to use. I can create another one, a derivative products that someone else might use that, you know? So those are the things that are important to think about making it easy for people to use, yeah. not just because it's cool, right? I have great technology that can solve this. No, it's about enable people to do things. So enabling is the important part. Yeah, that, that giving room for failure, I think, is is something where a lot of people are getting stuck on trying to do their POC where they go, I can't fail with this. And it's like you want to make you want to set yourself up for success, but you also want to to give people that experimentation space where they can experiment and that it's not the end of the world. And so I, I yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how to, to work with people to let them do kind of like a spec data product or things like that. <laughs> How do we actually make this so that, that somebody can get that feedback and, and try something out and that, and that it is, exactly. it's not that yeah. they went and they spent, you know, uh, hours and hours cooking this thing versus like, Hey, I'm going to whip up the sauce. Is the sauce any good? Like I, I'm going to get a little taste of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a key thing, right? How do you do this well and get the feedback a little bit quicker than trying to go too far? And then it's not exactly what people want. How do you go about doing something like that? And the only way to do it is to give them, you know, a place to try and do things. Um, I think that's that's key to success. We're, we're about in that journey, right? We just started out with an incubator area. 
where people can go in and look at all the products, look at ways they can bring their own ingredients and cook them and doing things like that. We're, we're just about, um, we're right in the middle of that journey is to start that enabling process um, right now. Well, Juan is Rosiers when he was at DPG talked about this, about um, there are things that aren't even, um, that they're listed and they're discoverable, but aren't considered data mesh data products. They're not domain data products mm. because they're not high quality enough, but people can get a sense of there are these ingredients. Do you want us to make these available in such a way that they're uh, that they're of high enough quality that that they are food grade, right? Right now they're yeah. not food grade. So like, yeah. how do we make it so that they are food grade and ensure that they're food grade? So I, I, I like that concept as well of, of like, it's not that the domain just says, here is our data on the outside. It's like, here's the data that's kind of on the threshold. Is, is there something where we should share from this? Is there is there this stuff that people really want and that people can start, that the consumers can come to them and, and, and let them know as well? That's yeah, exactly, exactly. And Scott, you, 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 you asked, I think you maybe have brought this up in other podcasts, but I think that there's way too many of this. Hey, is this a data mesh? Or is that a data fabrics or a data vault and all these different things, right? And people get so stuck on some of this that they cannot move forward. They do so much analysis on it. Uh, I think the data mesh is different because it encourages people to go and do things, right? And right to enable people. Hey, is is the, you know that all these pain points? Um, let's do something different and think differently, uh, and that is more important than, than the technical part of it. Well, and people in data, in IT in general, but especially in data, have been sold vendor-based selling and that it's, mm -hmm. here is the solution and it is my technology and it, here is the blueprint on exactly how to do this. So mm -hmm. people can get a little frustrated around data mesh because there isn't that blueprint because it is very much mm -hmm. adapt to your org and here's here's what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I'm trying to, to get from the podcast and the community is how are people attempting to achieve that? And what's working and what's not. And so mm -hmm. that way we can all iterate together and, and kind of um, have that that same thing of, of a place where it's safe to fail, where it's safe to mm -hmm. put out, here's what we're trying, because if we're overly criticizing people and their, their um, efforts, it's going to lead for people to not want to share versus if we can all say, hey... <laughs> Here's this. Thing. Here's my crazy idea. Does this make any sense? Um, yeah. And that that we can have those dialogues. It's it's very important. So, uh, yeah. well, th this has been super awesome. Uh, really uh, love the the conversation here. I think this is going to have a lot of useful nuggets for people to kind of take out for their own journey. Especially kind of the last two is what what I took down was you can't copy paste from other organizations, and you need to create that. Um, you need to find the things that resonate and give people the ability to um, experiment and fail fast and that you make failing safe and that you make that something that's, that's okay. And that that's part of the, the learning journey. So um, is uh, where, where can people find you? What do you want people following up with you about uh, just LinkedIn or Twitter? Or yeah, what, what's yeah, the best LinkedIn is the best way to find me. And I'm, um, uh, I'd be more than happy to hear feedbacks and hear more stories. And Scott, you know, I just want to quickly say that every podcast you guys have has been 
different kind of nuggets and insights, right? It's, it's something that everybody needs to, to listen sometimes a couple of times uh, to say, actually, what does Juan talk about knowledge graph here, right? And, and just start understanding that and say, well, that is where you want to be down the road uh, kind of things. Or if someone like Max sharing, you know, his second year journey, you can hear that, hey, you know, this is not something you can do overnight. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's amazing. So those are things that I think, uh, I just want to, to say that what you guys doing here is fantastic. It's going to help the data community to move forward and find a better way to do things faster and maybe a little bit cheaper, right? Or more manageable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I keep trying to tell people that like the whole idea of the community is that if everybody's doing this alone in the dark, it's going to take yeah. five, <laughs> seven years versus yeah. originally when I launched the community in, in last February, it was... Oh, I think we'll be able to get to the answers in 18 months. And now we're yeah. 12 months in and I'm like, okay, it's going to take 24 months. So it's going to be 36 months next February that I'm thinking, but that, that it, it means that we can, we can iterate towards this in a faster way. We can talk mm-hmm. about what works and what, what approaches don't. So yeah. I, I, I'm really appreciative of people like yourself that are, are sharing your, your excellent context and information. So. Um, well, again, Khan, thank you so much for your time and thank you everybody for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Khan Chow, the lead architect for the Data Mesh Initiative at Northern Trust. As always, you can find his contact information in the show notes. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.